Bibles, you would please, let's look at this passage of Scripture quickly, and then I want to transition to talk just about a little bit about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me just give you a little bit of background. The church at Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul was able to be there only three Sabbath days. That means three Saturdays he was in town, so less than a month. And while he was there, he led numbers of people to Christ, being supported by a church in Philippi who two times in that month sent someone 35 miles with money, mission support, to help him stay there in that town. By the way, it's our, it's our model for giving to missions is the church at Philippi. And every Christian ought to give something every week so that someone else in the sphere of this world can hear the gospel of Christ if you can't do it in person, you need to do it in proxy. And we're reading a book that uh, the book of Thessalonians is written because of a church that gave to Paul to preach the gospel, and he did not know he would only be there three Sabbath days, three weeks, four weeks max. But in that short time, he had the time to win the lost, disciple the saved, and give them very exciting news about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can look, there are five chapters in 1 Thessalonians. Every one of them end with a promise and a reminder of the coming of Jesus Christ. One out of every 25 verses of your New Testament reference the coming of Jesus Christ. God wants us to be living with the imminent return of Jesus on our heart. He doesn't want you to say, well, he's going to come back many years from now. It won't be any time. That's a lie. You don't know when he's coming back. We don't know. But we do know that we're supposed to live with the anticipation. Paul assumed that he was going to come back in his lifetime. And I don't know about you. I think Paul was a great Christian. What do you think? And if great Christians believe that the Lord Jesus might come back in their lifetime, I think we should have the same mentality in our mind that he's going to come again. I want to talk to you about that this morning. But Jesus uh, saved these dear people, and Paul, when he gets to the next town, he writes them this letter. They have lots of questions for him about morality and about the coming of Christ. They had the question about what happens when a Christian who has been saved by Jesus Christ dies. He answers their question in his response. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, let's quickly go through this, and then I want to hit some high points and we'll conclude this morning. Please forgive me for um, the frustrations of listening to me with somewhat of a hoarse voice today. Verse number 11, and that you study to be quiet and to work with your, and to work, and to do your own business and to work with your hands as we commanded you. By the way, that's good advice for all of us. These people were influenced by the Greeks. And the Greeks thought if you did manual labor, you were really weak in the mind. The real smart people just sat around in circles and talked about philosophy. And he said, I don't want the Christians. Every Christian ought to be a hardworking Christian. Listen, you ought to be the hardest working Christian at your workplace. Laziness is a scourge of the ministry. It's a scourge in my profession as pastors. Everybody ought to be working hard. Churches are blessed by hardworking people. Homes are blessed by hardworking mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers and dads. Homes are blessed by hardworking teenagers who are not negligent and self-serving, but find a way to get the things done that need to get done. He said, I want you to study, to be quiet, to do your own business, stay in your own lane and work with your own hands as we've commanded to you. 
And many folks are happy to talk. Uh, I remember Gary Player playing golf one day, and he was hitting the golf ball as straight as an arrow as far as you could see. And one guy in the gallery said, that guy is so lucky. He put another ball on the tee, and he hit it again. He said, the harder I work, the luckier I get. You want to get lucky? Work hard. God commends hard work. He condemns laziness and apathy and sitting around and saying, my name is Jimmy, and take all you give me, and it's all about me. No, you need to work, and you need to work enough to have enough for you to pay your bills and have some extra to give to other people. The Bible says, let him that stole steal no more, but let, her, let him work with his own hands that which is good to have to give to them that need it. Even if you don't get paid, you ought to work. Every once in a while, people just only work if they get paid. Teenagers, if your mom and dad give you money for chores or not, do your chores. Work is something God honors, and he tells us to do that. And we find a, a community today and a society today and, and that's just lazy. And we just, we just were not willing to put the time in. And I think it's, it's an admonition here and has nothing to do with the rest of the message, but it was a real fun to tell you all that. All right, look at verse number 12. That ye may walk honestly toward them that were without. By the way, people who are not saved, make sure that you're above reproach in your dealings because you represent Jesus to people who are not yet saved yet. That ye may, uh, have lack of, may have lack of nothing. That means you'll have all that you need to be a good testimony to the lost. Now, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant or not know, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, the Christians who die, that ye sorrow not even as others who have no hope. When a Christian passes away, it's natural for us to cry, to weep, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. But we don't have to cry and weep the same way as someone who does not know Jesus. As a matter of fact, he doesn't say when a Christian dies, he says when a Christian falls asleep. And whenever a Christian dies, he kind of falls asleep in this life and takes a nap and wakes up in the presence of the Lord. And that's a beautiful testimony of salvation. Look at the next thought if we can, verse 14. For if we believe, by the way, they're just believers and non-believers. If you believe that Jesus died, he rose again, even them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And by the way, you want to be a believer. If you're here today and you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. Please don't exit those doors without that assurance. You need to have the world's greatest mistake would be to go to hell over a mistake, not knowing for sure that you have eternal life. But he said, if you believe that Jesus died, he was buried and he rose again, then... Those of you who sleep and you have Jesus, see, everyone's in this room is in your sin or you're in Christ. When we leave this world, we either leave in our sin and we get a fair trial with a God who knows everything about us, or we leave with God's Son and we get a free pardon, forgiveness of sin, and justification before God. He said, if you're saved and you die and you sleep in Jesus, God's going to bring you to him. Verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Aren't you glad you have God's word on it? Now, if I give you my word, take it or leave it. It might or might not be always accurate. But God, always, you can guarantee, you can cast that check. That we which are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. He said, when, if you're alive, when the Lord comes back, the people who have died in Christ will go first. Verse 16, read it out loud with me, would you please? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's just re referring back to what he said. And aren't you glad the Lord himself shall descend from heaven? That uh, he, he's going to come back personally. 
to receive those who have been saved. Verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in where? That'll be important for us as we continue our study this morning. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Would you read verse number 18, everyone together? Wherefore, okay, you know, it's interesting. All of this is to bring a comfort to your heart. Every once in a while, the devil has taught us that prophecy is scary. That if the Lord comes back, oh, I was nervous about that. God wants it to be a source of comfort to God's people. I want to talk to you just for a few moments about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice, first of all, the reality of the coming of Christ. Ready or not, he is coming again. That's going to happen. It's the reality of his coming. We'll talk for a moment about the two returns of his coming. What are the results of his coming? And then, what is the responsibility if I know he's coming back again? I want to talk to you about that real quickly. The first thing I want to share with you, there are three facts in the New Testament that we know without a doubt that are, that are true facts. Number one, the fact of the New Testament is, is that Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he went back to heaven. How many would agree with that? That's the fact. If you read your New Testament, you know that the New Testament gives the first fact is that Jesus came to this earth as God-man. He lived an innocent life. He died a cruel death. He was buried for three days. He rose again, and he went back to heaven 40 days later. That's the fact number one. The fact number two is that the New Testament teaches that the Holy Spirit of God came down from heaven, and he is still here. That's fact number two. Fact number one is that Jesus came. He died. He was buried, rose again, and he went back. Fact number two is that Jesus sent his spirit, his comforter, another one like him, to come to this earth, and he is still here today. Matter of fact, the moment I accepted Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, he now lives inside of me. And do you know how long he's going to be there? Forever. Tomorrow night, I'll check into a hotel in, in, uh, somewhere in New, in New England, in, in, in uh, Rhode Island. And one thing I know when you check, when you go into a check into a hotel, you know one thing, you're checking out. <laughs> you know, I don't put my own curtains up there and put my family pictures on the walls and don't do that. I'm just going in there just for a little while and I'm getting out. Aren't you glad that you are not a hotel for the Holy Spirit of God? Once he comes into you, he's going to abide with you. How long? Forever. He's our guarantee that I'm not going to hell because he's God and he's in me, and he's never leaving me, and he's never going to hell, neither am I. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it? If you're not sure the Holy Spirit's on the inside of you, you need to get that together. And, and don't leave today without making sure that's together. Another thing is, is that he's in the world today. This world stinks, and there's a lot of problems in this world. But I would not want to be here when the Holy Spirit's not here. As bad as it is, God's Spirit is still prevalent and here in this world today. So we know fact number one is that Jesus came. He died, he was buried, and he went back to heaven. That's fact number one. Number two is that, that he sent his Holy Spirit to the earth, and he is still here. Fact number three is that Jesus is coming back. He's coming again. Now, scoffers mock it. 
People say, and even in, in the time when Peter, the, the, the apostle Lord Jesus Christ, told people that Jesus is coming again, and, and he says to, it said people were saying, you scoffers, oh yeah, you've always said he's coming back again. And he said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to some of us hardheads, not willing that any would perish or die and go to hell, but all would come to repentance. He's coming again. And we see that all through the Bible. The reality of the coming of the Lord Jesus is seen throughout the scriptures. And I don't think I could take one out of every 25 verses of the New Testament and show you. Now, in the Old Testament, there are many prophecies of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but mostly of his second coming, which we'll talk about that in just a moment. But we can find several things. If you can just read simple verses in the Bible, like John chapter 14, verse number one, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself that where I am, there ye may be also. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will do what? Come again. Here's a promise of his coming. He tells us, occupy until I come. Six times in the book of the Revelation, the Bible says this, from Jesus, his own mouth, behold, I come quickly. Even before he closes out the Bible, he reminds us six times from his own words, I am coming back. And when I come back, it'll be a sudden thing. All through the Bible, we see the coming to wait for his son from heaven, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 10. The reality of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. More is said about the coming of Jesus Christ uh, than creation, than the fall of man. More is said about the coming of Christ than the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. Because God wants it to be on your mind. He says that people, uh, the devil has programmed us to be like the days of Noah, when people just ate and drank and were merry and had parties and went on vacations and, and just planned for the next couple of years, not knowing that impending judgment was just around the corner. Or just like Sodom and Gomorrah, whenever it was just a party-hardy mentality. Immorality was prevalent. But they, the judgment was just around the corner, and God spared. And we see in each of those situations that God sent a messenger, and he saved a few. Only a few were saved, and he had grace on whoever would receive him. Noah, in the case of the flood, and, and Lot and his girls, in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, God was trying to get people's attention. And that is true today. Jesus is coming again. That's the reality of the matter. Now, when Jesus comes, he's come to the earth three times. He will come to the earth three times. Number one, he'll come to, he came to his own. We know this from John chapter 1. He came into his own, verse 11, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So the first time he came, he came to his own people, Israel, and they rejected him. It opened a door for you and I as Gentiles to be saved and to receive the gospel as well. The second time he comes, he's going to come in the rapture of the church. And so he came to his own. The second time he comes, he comes for his own. Are you his own? Do you know for sure that you're in his fold? Jesus said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, 
and they follow me. This is an important concept. You know, a lot of people are going to say one day to the Lord, I know you. Matter of fact, he said in Matthew chapter 7, many are going to say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't I sing in the choir? Didn't I usher? Didn't I help with this and that and do all this stuff for you? I participated in that prophecy conference, and I did this and did this, and I gave to that building down there. I did all these things in your name. And to some of those people, he's going to say, hmm, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, on one basis, I never knew you. It's a big deal to make sure God knows you. It's not hard. I don't, I'm not here to give you any kind of a scare. I'm just telling you, you got to be truly saved for God to know you. If you're truly saved, you have nothing to worry about. If you're not saved, there's no one who wants you to be saved more than God does. He did everything possible so you can be saved. And if you're allowing pride or procrastination to keep you from coming to Jesus and accepting his gift of eternal life, stop it. Don't become proud and don't let procrastination keep you from getting saved. So the second time he comes, he comes for his own. And that's going to be uh, in a moment of time, in a twinkle of an eye, that he's going to come. But he won't come back to the earth in that time. The next time he's going to come is about seven years later, we believe the Bible teaches. If you want to know a little bit of that second time, you can go to the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 11 and following. You'll see that that is when God is, the Lord Jesus is going to come back with his saints. So he came to his people, he came for his people, and he's coming with his people back to the earth. As you look at those two different phases, I'll just say a couple things I wrote down, and I'll just read them to you quickly for sake of time. Number one, he comes, when the rapture comes, he comes for his saints. The second coming back seven years later, he's coming with his saints. Next, the first time he comes, he'll come and we'll meet the Lord where? In the air, okay? So he doesn't come back to the earth. We're going to meet him where? In the air. The second time he comes and he places his foot back in Mount Olive, there, right there in the nation of Israel that's been uh, having war at this present time, right outside the holy city. This, then the first time he'll come back, or the second time actually, the coming we're waiting for, he'll come by grace and he will rescue and reward those that are his. And the second time he'll come, he'll come in judgment to judge the nations as they are, and those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the next, the, this, the rapture, when he comes for his own, it'll be a secret to the world. Uh, Jesus said, and when he was here on the earth, he did not even know when the Father wanted him to come back. He probably knows now, but he didn't know at the time that he was talking to the disciples when he said, when are you going to come back? Because that's only left to the Father to know. The angels of heaven don't know that. But it's a secret to the world. When he comes back the next time, it will be a very public appearance. It, when he comes the next time, uh, we'll find that uh, it, will, it will bring um, judgment to the earth. That's where the tribulation period will take place, seven years of tribulation. That's when the world will finally say, uncle to God. He will begin winding him down through the funnel of his wrath and and they will, they will want the rocks to fall upon them. By the way, you don't have to be here for that seven. You say, Pastor, I'm scared about that tribulation period. If you're saved, you don't have to be scared about it. You're not going to be here, Spanky. <laughs> okay? You'll get to be with the Lord in that time. There will be people saved during that time, and it's going to be a very difficult time for this planet. 
And the Antichrist will, will rule and reign. But when he comes this next time, he's going to bring judgment to the planet. When he comes back for the second coming in seven years, he's going to bring great untold blessing to the planet. And that's where the millennium will start. That's where the lion will lay down with the lamb. That's when Satan will be bound. When we find the next time he comes, Satan is going to have great liberty to work as the Antichrist, the beast, the prophet, so forth and so on. But when the Lord comes back seven years later, Satan will be bound and non-factor for these, for these thousand years. There's a lot of things going on in future events. And God doesn't tell us everything about the future, but he does tell us an outline of his thinking. Because he wants us not to be ignorant of those things. As a matter of fact, Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant of these things, brethren. I don't want you to sorrow like some who do not have hope. I don't want you to be afraid. When you know the truth, you don't have to be afraid. The Bible says you shall know the truth, and the truth makes you free. Free from hang-ups, free from fear, free, free from confusion. Lots of things come when you know the truth. So we find here that the returns of Jesus are twofold. He comes for his own, and he will later come with his own. Two very dramatic things. And then we'll see a little bit about um, what is the result of his coming. Well, the result of his coming, when he comes back, Christians uh, will be blessed. Unsaved people will get blistered. Christians will be blessed, and unsaved people will receive the judgment of God. If you're here today and you're not sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. You want to make sure that you are not in that last judgment. When Jesus comes the next time, he is going to, he'll gather his saints, and then he'll reward those at the judgment seat of Christ. When he comes back the next time, he'll gather the unsaved at the conclusion of the 1,000-year millennium period, the Bible teaches, and then they will face the great white throne judgment and the judgment of the nations. And all of those will be put into the lake of fire. These are things that we can see from the scriptures. The last thing I want to share with you is what is your responsibility if you know what I just told you? What is your responsibility if you understand the reality that Jesus could come at any time, and he is coming again, ready or not. Say, Pastor, he might not come in 10 years. That's his business. He gave me the same marching orders he gave the Apostle Paul. You got the same marching orders he gave. Uh, whenever Jesus went back to heaven, 120 people potentially were looking up in heaven and said, where did he go? And then two men stood there and said, ye men of Galilee, what are you doing? Why stand you looking up into the heavens doing nothing? This same Jesus who went up into heaven is going to come back again in like manner the way you've seen him go. Now go into Jerusalem and wait and listen to what God has for you uh, to do. And you know, God has given us something to do. Here's a couple things I want to give to you. What is the result of that? Would we listen if we could please? Number one, I would encourage you to be pure in your life. 1 John chapter 3, if Jesus is coming again, and I'm going to see him as he is, the Bible says I should purify myself even as he also is pure. You can live pure in an unpure day. Your phone does not have to be a sewage of pornography and filth. Your computer does not need to have that. Your texting should not be vile and sexual in nature. Your motives should be pure. Your morals should be pure. Especially as we know that Jesus could come at any moment. 
If I know in a few days I'm going to see him, you might want to do some house cleaning. Sir, don't, don't excuse this and say, you know, I'm just a man. I have my needs. No, you are called to purity. Jesus said, be ye holy, for I am holy. In the book of 1 Peter, he reminds us of that. Be pure. Ma'am, be pure in your conduct. Number two, if I know Jesus, my responsibility to be pure, I certainly need to be spirit-filled. I ought to be be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You know I can do better things by accident with the Holy Spirit's help than I can on purpose trying to be a, a good person in my own abilities. You can be as full of the Holy Spirit as you want to be. If you want the Holy Spirit to fill you, it's it's a matter of you allowing Him to do it. You asking Him to to fill you. And then you participating in His Word and His work. Those are great ways to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. If we know that Jesus would come back, our responsibility is to be pure, to be Spirit-filled. I would say also that we ought to be serving and working with the Lord. Jesus said this in light of the fact that he knew that he only had a short time. In John chapter 9 and verse 4, he said this. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Do you know what word keeps popping up in that verse three times out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ? What is it? Work. It's four letters, but it's not a bad word. (laughs) It's a good word. And every saint ought to have a service. Every member ought to have a ministry. Everybody ought to be doing something for the Lord. And I want to encourage you, don't just sit soak, and sour and watch the world go by. Find something to do, especially in light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no soul winning in heaven. There is no need for an offering in heaven. There are no bus routes in heaven. There are no Sunday school teachers needed in heaven, but there are here. The work of the Lord, we only have a small parenthesis of life to do that. And if you're going to do your giving, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. If you're going to do your serving, do it now. You're not going to need to do that to the same extent in heaven. If you're going to give out a gospel track or invite someone to the prophecy conference, that won't be needed in heaven. That's only here in this earth while we wait for God's Son from heaven. And while we wait from heaven, we not only should be pure, spirit-filled, and serving, we should be soul-conscious. And if you're here today and you're not sure if you died, you go to heaven, you need to get serious and let someone take the Bible and explain to you how to get to heaven from here. When Jesus comes back, he wants you to go with him. And if you leave this life before he gets back, he wants you to be absent from your body and instantly present with him. Let's pray together. Can we please?